CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to Mining Pod. On today's show, we are joined by Tom Asiero of Standard Bitcoin. We recorded this conversation down at Bitcoin Park at the National Mining and Energy Summit. It was a great time. Thank you to the Bitcoin Park team for making that possible. We'd also like to thank CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner, for making this show possible on the Coindesk Podcast Network. You'll hear later from CleanSpark in the episode. In today's show with Tom, we talk about mining in the Southeast of the United States, including the Tennessee Valley and how uh, energy and infrastructure works down there for mining Bitcoin. We also get into some counterintuitive takes on mining Bitcoin in Texas, which I found myself very thought provoking. Okay, let's jump right into the show. Tom, welcome to the Mining Pod. What's happening, Will? It's been a long time coming. It really has. Uh, we should have done this probably a while ago, but we had to wait for your ordinals moment to happen. My ordinals moment. And then we could tease everybody on the show. Mm-hmm. I think one of my favorite things is like people probably want to think you as an ordinal person ever, and then you really came out hard for them. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm an ordinals agitator more than anything. I... I, I actually, I just, I was, I'm like a big fan of, you know, like my background with, uh, with great American mining was like, we were kind of like a trolley account. We kind of pushed hard against, um, you know, some of the narratives around, um, you know, power consumption and, and things like that. And, uh, so I'm like a big fan of like mimetic energy. And so like when the ordinal thing, the ordinal things happened, I was like, oh man, there's something like, you can't really touch it, but it, I knew it was like a very powerful kind of like mimetic tool. And especially for Bitcoin, uh, and especially I was excited because in the bear market, yeah. it was being born. And like typically in my experience, like when things get like kind of hatched in bear markets, um, they have time to like you know, get right. And so I was like, oh man, this is, thing's going to be powerful. And then, you know, you just kind of forget about it. You see these couple peaks here and there. And, um, some of my maxi friends are, you know, like just raging about it. And, you know, it's, are like Marty and- oh yeah, he's my business partner. And like, you know, he's like, it's, it's damaging the state chain. And I'm like, what are you even talking about? Like, what are you, how does it damage it? Do you have to put a bandaid on it? Like what, any of this stuff. But like, I mean, I get their points of like, you know, well, it's, it's, it's my node is working overtime. Like, dude, buy an extra hard drive. Like what, you know, there's this, because there's so much more data now. And this is, anyway, no one even pays attention to it. I, I can't even tell you. I have like multiple nodes. I don't, I don't look at any of the stuff. Um, so yeah. And then like when it kind of launched, there was this like interesting, you know, kind of splitting of folks who would consider themselves maxis, which I would, I'm, I'm in, and yet I still saw like the use cases of, of ordinals and being a, bi- a good thing. And then more importantly, as a miner, yeah. I'm thinking like, oh man, there's like a, a way for us to um, essentially like 
get a cheat code going into like the happening because if there's this like robust fee market it changes the dynamics of people's asic allocations uh where you're going to plug machines in and uh so anyway that's just exciting I, and i like the fact that like it, it kind of it's gonna it's a stress test of, for bitcoin like if ordinals ruins bitcoin like we were all wasting our time anyway so like let's just get it out of the way and you know go from there and it's coming around um we're at the you know nashville energy and mining summit and uh there, there was no ordinals uh, panels at this uh, conference, which is a shame. Which is a shame but I, I have a prediction it will be, definitely be next year because every side conversation I've been in, someone's bringing it up, and it's usually not the pro ordinals people. They just know I'm like friendly adjacent to it, and they're just like, "Hey, what do you think about it?" You know, before you know, you weren't allowed to challenge that orthodoxy, so it's spreading. I think like obviously the economic incentives are really good, and uh, ultimately, like if, you, if miners are um you know big advocates for ordinals i think it's a great thing i think you'll start you'll start seeing like integrated ordinal related stuff into like mining companies the way that they market themselves uh I, it might be you know for for ill-gotten gains or whatnot but that's that's typically what you're going to see i think one of the bets that the ethereum ecosystem made that was correct was the price of hard drives would go down exponentially mm -hmm. mostly seeing that right yeah. so like I think for ordinals and ordinal enjoyers, like we're kind of catching on to that and being like, yeah, that's good. Like we want to join in that bandwagon. Yeah, yeah. Now like the cost of like RAM or computation, all that stuff is still pretty expensive. So that's sort of the bottleneck. I think the Ethereum crowd is like figuring that out right now. Mm -hmm. uh, especially when you see like most our nodes are based in like Berlin super hubs yeah. as opposed to Bitcoiners. And I think that's the cool thing is we get the most, best of both worlds where it's not super intensive to like have ordinal subscriptions out onto yeah, it, but we totally. still have like the ability to just store them on a laptop or onto a node pretty easily. Absolutely. But that's an aside. We should go back to the beginning and yeah, yeah. allow you to like kind of tell your story with standard Bitcoin and yeah. uh, who you are for, for those who are not familiar. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. Tom, Tom Macero uh, started in Bitcoin uh, kind of by accident. I think a lot of folks kind of start by accident. I was working in a software company out of Boston um, and around 2015, 2016, we got um, approached by Roger Ver to build out. Uh, we were a software company that basically made um, like an advertising skin directly for um, websites. So like you could go on this website and, uh, and like our skin of our software would allow you to buy advertising directly. And we did all the magic behind the scenes on how many impressions it did. And he was like, hey, I want that for Bitcoin.com, but I wanted to accept Bitcoin only, not credit cards. And we were a small company. So we were like, all right, cool. We'll build it out. And uh, eventually he was like, he came back, he loved it. And he was like, look, I'm like an investor in all these other companies like blockchain.com, uh, Coindesk, uh, CoinGecko. I mean, just all the big ones. And so kind of pre-pump uh, in 2017, I was kind of in charge of like developing this cryptocurrency vertical inside that company. And I didn't really know anything about cryptocurrency. I was like a, a hardcore Ethereum guy because I got into Ethereum yeah. uh, spring of 2016 when it like, I think it was like 12 or $13 when I first heard about it. And like, you know, when you get in around that time, like the rise, I think it went to like two or $300 within like a month or two. It was like insane. And so I was like, you know, I thought Vitalik was God, literally. I mean, I had this newsletter where I was just like, you know, worshiping Vitalik. And uh, I got orange pill because I just saw these like 
pretty, you know, like kind of the maxi clout that's our yeah. crowd that's out there right now. Um, they were going after Metallic and basically saying like all, you know, the, the, the attacks of like, hey, this isn't actually what he's saying it is. And I was like, well, look, it's obviously look at what it's doing. The prices are accumulating. And uh, I watched an interview with Chris DeRose from Bitcoin Uncensored, which not I don't know how many people are like old school, but like his uh, their stuff was awesome, uh, even when. Uh, Jenseth was doing it, but he did an interview with Vlad Zamfir and Vlad Zamfir was like at this hotel room and he's like being interviewed and he's like on his knees, like uh, uh, on like a chair and Chris Rose isn't like a developer or any type of big brain. And he was just asking him simple questions mm -hmm. regarding, you know, this idea of like, you know, uh, Ethereum claims of like being able to be this like supercomputer and you know, it's gone through like a multiple iterations and anyways like i just saw like the sweat start coming down his face and like he was like well i'm actually not even a developer and neither is vitalik and i'm like well wait wait a minute like these guys don't even know how to code and uh you know it was like emperor has his clothes off moment so um you know i caught that orange pill right before like the bitcoin fork wars yeah. and uh so it was like a wild time because i had no idea what was going on and uh kind of got you know, that's where I developed my relationship with Marty because like Bitcoin Twitter was really small back then and he had just started his newsletter and his yeah, the band. And this is like, yeah, 27, late 2017 or early 2017. And um, yeah, we, and we started working together at that ad company and that ad company took in like during that ICO phase. It was, I mean, if you were into crypto at that point, it was the most insane. We've never witnessed anything as crazy as that, that bull market, at least, you know, in my period, even with like the, the last ramp up. So we accumulated a lot of Bitcoin and Ethereum and everything like that. And we would pay out the publishers and, and fiat. So they were happy. Um, and so what, what does someone do when they haven't been into this for a long time? They're like, Oh, well, how, how can I continue to make more of this magical internet money? And so, I was like surfing the web and I was like, I came across this, uh, the GRC hash tank. Do you remember that thing? It's like, a, it's like an, it was like the first immersion ha hash tank or, uh, or, uh, mining tank, um, container. And I sent it to, uh, Todd, who's the, the owner of, um, of BSA. And he, he was the, well, the owner of uh, great American mining. I sent it to him and I was like, dude, we got to get this man. Like, look at this thing. It prints Bitcoin. We have our own money printer. And he was like, let's buy one. And so we went out, we bought a, uh, a uh, hundred dragon mints at the top of the bowl, like right at 20 grand. And, you know, we waited for months. I got to go into this like uh, hotel room at like the North American Bitcoin con uh, conference in 2018 to get a sneak peek, to make sure I was getting like an actual machine. Cause like at that time, no one knew what was going on with it. And, uh, and so at that point, it was kind of like a skunk works project inside that company. And we're like, all right, well, what do we do? We got to figure out how to plug these things in. And it's just like, you know, that's, that's the rabbit hole. It started and eventually having difficulty finding places to plug it in, um, led us, um, to, you know, essentially trying to find, you're always trying to find free power as close as you can to get it. And one of the guys that we worked with, um, well, Reed and Isaac, who are currently at Cathedral, were our first two hires at Great American Mining. And um, Reed has an oil and gas background, um, and his wife is involved in the oil and gas industry in Utah. And, you know, basically she was like, hey, I have a, a client or a member of our association who's getting fined by the EPA for uh, flare um, violations for his frack water that, you know, basically there's like residue um, in the water that he's pulling off of these sites. Can you help him? 
because um, we, you know, we had seen some, you know, Steve Barber was talking about some of this stuff and everything. And, um, you know, we, we had had some challenges. We've been going at it for almost uh, a year and a half. Yeah. Very, very difficult. We've lost a lot of money doing it. And um, <clears throat> Steve hadn't been, Steve had like had his, had like had his stuff out there, but he wasn't selling anything at that point. Yeah. Um, and so we were basically going to be like, look, we're just going to end up just buying some boxes from Steve when he stands up uh, his business and, you know, Hey guys, the experiments over, but we basically said to him, Hey, you got three months mm -hmm. to figure out like how to make this work. And you know, if not, we're just going to go in this direction. So within that three months, that's when we rolled up our pilot project at that flare site. And it was just like really rando guy came over and was like looking at it. And he took this video on his flip phone or whatever and sent it to a colleague. Uh, yeah, it was like, it was like, a, it was like a root. It wasn't even like an iPhone or something, but he just took this like really grainy video yeah. and he sent it to a colleague in North Dakota. Yeah. And this girl was actually at this flaring conference and she like walked right up to uh, the Marathon uh, Oil, uh, not CEO, but someone pretty high up there. And was like, oh, hey, could you guys use this? Because like flaring was like a big deal. And she was like, gave her her card. And she's like, tell whoever that is to like contact us. Yeah. And so like, yeah, we, it was like, it was just, you know, we had no, we had no business like being able to do that. And yeah, we kind of built out our own first GAM box. At that point, we had like some video that went viral of like, the first time it went live at night and there's like these lights you know it's aesthetically flare mining is like Very amazing cool. yeah yeah kind of doesn't film stuff with the j guys do yes thing to like film there yeah say why it's this wyoming powder range base that is beautiful absolutely yeah. yeah it actually made bitcoin in my opinion it actually makes bitcoin mining cool because when you see yeah. most on-grid sites you're kind of like oh it's, it's like, boring. yeah it's like a glorified like it looks like um like a storage unit essentially yeah. Um, that makes noise. So, uh, yeah, the, those sites were just, um, yeah, they're very, uh, pleasing aesthetically. And then you're, you're doing like a net benefit and it was a really powerful tool, uh, as far as like a narrative angle to go after ESG cause ESG was coming after, you know, Bitcoin miners. And like, we had this like amazing tool. So really just got started right around the same time that, uh, Crusoe yeah. upstream, we all basically, they gave up maybe about six months ahead of us. And then, um, yeah, it was just like a wild ride. I had to go through the April 2020 crash. That was wild. And then, you know, then getting ready for that next bull. And, you know, you go from, you know, 500 kilowatts to deploy to like 20 megawatts in like a year and a half, um, all distributed. So it was a wild ride. So you brought the Crusoe thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So there's that lawsuit. In a hand. No, 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 not on that. Do you have any opinions on all, all that? Because it seems like everyone was coming to market with a very similar tie as a light bulb was going on in different places. Yeah. Which you've... That happens in the industry. No, no, no. Yeah. It's always the best to get on the other side of it. Yeah. I would say, like, my, my views have kind of, like, evolved since initially. Because it's very, you know, especially Bitcoiners, we, like, paint um, ca categories. It's a bla very black or white. You know, those are bad guys. These are good guys. Um, I think like over time that I, I realized that like both those guys or both those companies are essentially, um, you know, just setting up moats for themselves. I don't believe in my opinion that either one of them want to use them in an offensive manner. Yeah. And so 
I think, you know, whatever happens with the lawsuit or however it works out, I think it'll probably come down to be pretty amicable uh, at the end of the day, which, you know, Bitcoiners would love like all the drama of it around there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's like my, I guess not really a hot take because like I've, it, it took a while because like it was really easy during that time yeah. to be like the Paint Crusoe as the bad guy. Um, but if you look at the, if you look at the lawsuit that they filed against somebody else, it wasn't in the meat of it, it was not on the basis of someone going after their patent or, or kind of like infringing on that. It had more to do with like someone, it was more economic based on them losing a deal and like, yeah, yeah. So like, I, I get it. Like, man, if they, that's a, a pretty big deal for that to happen. So anyways, I, I think, yeah, it's been kind of quiet, honestly, about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a mul yeah multiple Lancian ones. That seems like that one is a little bit. That one's a little bit more different because I yeah. think from everyone that I've talked to about it, uh, you know, Lancian at least has the the perception of being more predatorial about it. And uh, I think yeah, that's that, that's a different uh, animal when it comes to dealing with. Uh, we need to have like a PVP match. Get these people on the podcast and like go ahead. Yeah, I'm sure the lawyers will allow <laughs> that to happen. <laughs> no, they would. Yeah, they would not like that. Uh, okay, let's go back to standard Bitcoin now. Okay, like kind of profile of it. This is your time to shill for no shilling. I'm a private miner. I don't need to shill. It's not like you know I'm not out trying to raise money or anything like that. Uh, but it, in between leaving Gam, um, I went and worked with the team at Cathedra. A, a bunch of us went over there. Marty was on the board. Drew and AJ joined from Galaxy, and then a bunch of uh, like all, all my coworkers came over as well. And it was just you know kind of timed at a. The, you know, it was tough because it was like right at the peak in 21 yeah. and then things started going down. And uh, anyways, I was kind of my job there was to find a home for the 7000 J pros and XPs that they had um, bought on futures orders. And that, you know, that became like a difficult problem to solve, uh, especially with like difficulty going up and, uh, you know, just like price yeah. price not going in the right direction. And so like that led me to like, we had to kind of switch up our strategy because we were originally going to be like the off grid, you know, angle uh, on that side. We couldn't do it. Um, the, the Ukraine deal from a geopolitical perspective forced uh, all of the, basically the oil and gas market came alive again. And there was a period from like 2020 to like late 2021 where you could rent power generators, uh, um, natural gas generators for like the equivalent of like two to two and a half cents all in, yeah. um, which like, if you can get a site up and running quickly, like it was a cheat code. I mean, obviously you couldn't scale, but, um, or scale is easy, but it's, it was a great way to deploy hash rate, like very cheaply. Um, but that switched overnight because all of these uh, generator companies now had their longtime customers back and they didn't have to deal with these like, you know, um, bottom cost, like, you know, ruthless Bitcoin miners who were just like bleeding them out. And now they could charge, you know, three times the rate to their oil and gas customers. So yeah. uh, that advantage went away really quick. And so, um, you know, the, a lot of people had to switch up their strategies. We had to find hosting for a lot of the machines. And so kind of in that process, you know, I'd see, I saw companies that got exposed to debt financing for miners um, throughout the spectrum and just saw like, what happened uh, because of it. And so I had this like thing ingrained in the back of my head of like, I never want to have exposure to a lot of ASICs <laughs> moving forward when I try to scale up a, a Bitcoin mining business. And so um, while I was, um, while I left 
so like in between Cathedra and Standard Bitcoin, um, had this like epiphany moment with Marty because I was like, dude, when we started this thing at Great American Mining, we were gonna like plug in our own machines. It wasn't really supposed to be a business. It was more of this like project. And I was like, dude, we got to do something. So like, uh, I just moved to Tennessee. We have some natural gas wells like in my area. And I was like, Steve, I want to order a 50 kilowatt you know hash hut. And we ordered one. We bought M30s pluses at the top of the bull. I think we paid like $95 a T for it. Like literally the worst situation you could do. And we were like, all right, we're going to do like fight club for Bitcoin mining and plug them in. And, and it was awesome. Cause like that one, that first 50 kilowatt off grid site, you know, you learn all of like the, the friction points of being able to plug things in or like, Hey, why won't the pool take? And there's these like, you know, just, you have to go through the process of like, yeah. um, friction. And so we did that and that bug that once that bug is in here, like, Oh, if we did one, why can't we do more? There's more gas. So, you know, we bought some more and, um, and then like, yeah, I had an opportunity coming down off the bull in 2022, where in 21 and 22, insane build outs were happening, insane capital allocation. Miners were flying their, their machines in on 747s to like, you I mean, you know, it was crazy. You were at Compass too. Like everybody's printing money. It was just wild. And um, so there was a lot of infrastructure in the United States, transformers, containers, switch gear, um, that literally got mothballed like overnight in the summer of 2022. And so there was like kind of an opportunity to build out sites going from instead of paying five or $600,000 per megawatt, you could do sub 200. And that changes the economics of building a site pretty dramatically because if you're a hoster, you can pretty much guarantee that you can get your site paid back in less than a year um, if you run your business right. And so um, whereas before, a lot of folks were paying those um, large amounts for building out a, a site, but we're also prop mining. And so they were just like, they're kind of like rolling the dice um, on that side of things. So yeah, we built out an on-grid site and funded it via a, um, a miter broker sale. And, and so like, I didn't want to go into debt. I didn't want to have like a lot of employees. Uh, we just, you know, it was like all of these things that were like scars. I was like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to have any of these things. Yeah. Yeah. Like having all those points. Yeah. And like one, one thing, there was like a, a thought exercise when, when I was at Cathedral where we were talking one day in group chat and I was like, you know, cause you're always trying to think of like, what's our edge? How can we compete? And like, it's really hard in the public mining market because everyone can buy the same yeah. price. Like there's, commodity yeah, the yeah. It's really tough. And so I was like, well, how can we mine Bitcoin without owning an ASIC? And it was like, Oh, how do you, how do you think about that? And, and then I was like, as we were building out that first site, um, you know, kind of doing it by myself and with, with the group I'm with, uh, I realized like, oh, that's the cheat code right there. Because if I can build a, uh, what Adam back would call like the best chicken shack miner, um, if I could build the best, cheapest chicken shack miner, I could have an advantage of getting some access to hash rate on my, you know, um, on the hosting rates that, that I had in like, I don't have to buy any ASICs. And so, uh, yeah, that's. So we'd start doing these like small, I call them small, but small, relatively speaking to large Bitcoin miners, let's say 10 to 20 megawatt on-grid sites, primarily in like the South, Southeast, um, air-cooled, very bare bones, no crazy like remote monitoring or anything like that. And what was different or what is different about our model is um, we primarily just build the sites and we, all, the only maintenance we do on the sites is... Um, uh, you know, like actually on like the containers or the infrastructure, 
the teams that come in in mine, they have their own ops team. And we, we were basically sort of like a landlord um, that they pay at the end of the month their, their, their rent to. So uh, it's just anybody who's like had to monitor Bitcoin mines or especially anyone who's had to do off-grid stuff, you're constantly like, oh, I just got a ping that my, my generator went down. Now we've got to like have somebody go out and restart it and all this. Other. I was like, I don't want to deal with any of that stuff. So um, yeah, and it was a great, like you, you'll notice here, there's like a lot of companies that uh, the Giga guys, for example, have been building through uh, this bear market. Yeah. A lot of companies have been building through this bear market and a lot of folks who have like infrastructure and rack space as like a core competency, are, I think are in a really, really good position moving forward. In the competitive world of Bitcoin mining, one name stands out, CleanSpark, America's Bitcoin miner. At CleanSpark, efficiency isn't just a goal, it's our standard. Our sophisticated facilities are built and led by expert teams who care about Bitcoin and the communities we work in. Scale, we've mastered it. Our large-scale operations have set us apart in the industry as examples of community-oriented building. Our track record speaks for itself. We navigate the complexities of the new economy with precision and with skill, continuously achieving operational milestones. Curious about how we do it? We invite you to discover the story behind CleanSpark's success at cleanspark.com. Um, okay, I want to talk about that strategy a little more. A lot of people are trying to play ASIC games, which you've kind of opted out of by allowing work with like either manufacturers or other like sure. larger people who have an interest in that. Do they ever come back to you and are like questioning why you're kind of playing that strategy for it? And they're like thinking that you're kind of like outworking them there or just typically they're just like, yeah. I mean, no, I actually like the relationship is like very symbiotic because yeah. folks who have like spent a, I mean, if you think about like the deployment of capital for normally to, to set up a, a Bitcoin mine, 80 to 90% of it is on the ASIC side. So they're just happy that, someone can provide, you know, that rack space. Cause they know that like, it's really difficult to do, you know, for the most part uh, at scale. So no, we don't, um, especially if like it's a situation where, um, there's not a lot of like, uh, OPEX for them. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a no brainer. So no, that's, they're, they're just looking to deploy. And if they can get their hash rate online, I think that's the other thing too, is that when you have a co-hosting uh, client, the expectation, especially for us, is we want to keep we want to get them online as soon as possible because they're getting machines at a certain time that we need to make sure that they're plugged in and then keeping them running as consistently as we possibly can. Because like the way that the power rates work, like if you've got boxes that aren't working right, you've got machines going on and off. It plays with your demand charges. It basically makes you more efficient. So like we're kind of aligned because when we are, when we're making the most money off the cost per kilowatt is when things are running as smooth as they can. And obviously what they want is just worry-free operation. So, you know, the months from like, let's say October through April, uh, up here in Tennessee and Kentucky, it's like, it's great. My phone doesn't ring off the hook or anything like that. But like, last year was like our first real full summer through things down here and you know there were some there were some challenges uh that took place so okay i want to talk about tva and i want to talk about who you're working with on the hosting side like who's going in to fill this rack space yeah or even just in tennessee in general mm -hmm. 
there's been like minor Mac reports about that. We've just kind of seen like a lot of ASICs been flying from Bitmain and other providers into like the South East region of the US. Yeah. Are you working with counterparties like that? Or do you know of counterparties who are kind of? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's like different, if you, if you think about like the, I would say like the counterparty side of like hosting, there's like a, like a de- definitely like a couple different buckets, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we have like what I would consider uh, enterprise level uh, customers. Um, you know, some publicly traded miners, some um, like well-known uh, financial firms that are in like kind of the Bitcoin space. So like we'll handle their stuff. And of course it's all relationship based, like yeah. pe- people we've known for a while. And then the manufacturing side is, uh, you know, in a bear market for a, for a minor uh, manufacturer, like they have to still figure out how to like order more chips and keep the, the assembly lines going. And so there's a pretty robust, um, I would say, some plans that are put in place on on Bitmain and what's miner side where they'll facilitate uh like self mining that is sort of like a group sale to like larger customers but it allows them to um you know make money on on those machines for like six months and then have like a pre predetermined buyer of those machines that are already plugged in which it kind of goes back to how they used to run things in China in in previous markets where in bear cycles they like mining manufacturers loved it because they could go plug in at like two or three cent power in China and just hash like crazy with machines that aren't released to anybody. And then once the market picked up, they clean them off and, you know, send them over here to, to people. And, and so like, they like, uh, like they use self mining, uh, as a tool to basically get the margins that they know they need to get out of those machines, no matter what. And like, I don't think any other manufacturing business has that ability uh, to do that. So, um, yeah, there's like a, I would say a pretty, um, robust market of like that, that type of stuff going on. It makes sense. Uh, I don't have much more input on that front, but it has been like a headline for the last few weeks for a lot of people talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, I I think what's funny is like, there's going to be, I think like a lot of the small to medium size industrial scale miners. So like, let's say 10 megawatts plus, I think there's there's going to be like two points that take place. I think that they'll do okay for like the time period of like whatever this bull cycle is. Um, but in order to really scale, uh, you w- because of the public markets and what public miners are doing and like their ability to just order like a lot of machines at, at once, um, doing it like a traditional way as a private miner, you're just kind of rolling over your profits and yeah. you know there's it's more of like the turtle um, kind of pace with things. So. I think they're going to get boxed out. I think there's going to be a lot of, or there could be a lot of like M and A on that side of things because they, in order to get new machines, they're going to have to, to do some type of like liquidation. And so there's going to be a lot of like changing hands there, which that happens in most cycles anyway. So, um, but where I think like the TVA side of things comes into thing or not, not just TVA in general, let's just say like all of middle America, you can go from, let's say as far East as Ohio, and then as as far west as like Wyoming, in pretty much any Republican or conservative state, for the most part, energy prices that you're going to get for a Bitcoin miner is in like the four to five cent range. Um, you can do some like creative, elaborate uh, uh, structures with like off peak and things like that. But like if you want to run twenty four seven, that's kind of the range. And so there's you know for the most part, there's a lot of opportunities there. I think with the ETF. And with like, you know, like uh, grids like ERCOT and now TBA being here and, and, and having a voice, 
I think there's going to be a lot of validation at the at the lower utility level that allows much more growth in this area for these like I call them like sub you know, um, you know t- 10 to 15 megawatt sites where there's so many of these rural substations that were set up for either like a manufacturing plan or something like that where they've got the ability they've got the power yeah. right there um where they've been afraid to like deal with the bitcoin miners there's been like some stigma and now that like you know uncle larry's got the etf approved and um you're starting to see signaling from the power industry that this is actually a good thing especially with like curtailment yeah. and demand response that i think it's going to open up like a really uh like a lot of opportunities for for people though and i think actually i think it's a good thing for bitcoin there's yeah, going to be they're going to be diver- exactly exactly because like the big bitcoin miners they don't want that they're like oh, they shy away from it they'd much rather have their mega mine and because it's easier to operate yeah. Which brings me back to something I think you brought up to me two years ago, no, maybe a year ago, about Texas energy prices. And mm-hmm. so I want to get your opinion on that, at least for the record, about because I think it's counterintuitive than most people's, yeah, at least the claims the industry puts out. Yeah, well, I think you're starting to see it now. Like um, Bitmain themselves do not like doing business in Texas. A lot of the Chinese miners that came in. Um, there was some there's some groups that got just absolutely like wrecked. Uh, you know, there's like graveyards of sites that are out in West <laughs> Texas because of this, and like really big builds, like 300 megawatt builds and stuff. Um, there was a lot of devil in the details in terms of how it was presented to Bitcoin miners. It's like, oh, ERCOT's this great place to come Bitcoin mining, and it's super easy to get these. Like you know, they'd show off these like sub two cent price um, you know opportunities, but like when you actually peel back the onion you're like paying these massive bonds to participate in some of these programs. And if you have to have a level of sophistication to be able to integrate all of these things, then you're paying out a ton of CapEx to do immersion or water cooled. Um, and then at the end of the day, uh, it, it, like the blended rate for a lot of these folks, if you ask like people who are plugged in there, it's like, yeah, with our uptime, it ends up being like five cents or, you know, something like that. And so it's like, okay, well now you're mining in a place that's super hot uh, you're, you've got this weird relationship with like intermittent energy that I think is not really great for the, the grid down there. And, um, you know, a lot of people spend capital there, but I think, you know, a lot of other miners just said, okay, yeah, it may be in TVA. It's not easy to go set up a 200 megawatt site in Texas. It is like, you can literally buy land next to a large, you know, um, some, some power lines and, you know, if you know the right game, like you can build your own substation. So like, there's that ability to like, oh, hey, I want to scale. I can do it down here in Texas. But, you know, when you're making investments into ASICs and you're running them in that kind of weather, yeah. there's, I feel like a lot of folks don't like talk about like the, the like the, how does that impact your ROI when you're going to have to deal with all these failures on your machines and, and things like that. So I, you know, I, especially after last summer, you know, our summers here are, you know, mild compared to what they have to deal with. Yeah. Um, and we're air cooled. And we have, you know, we've kind of like have like this, uh, you know, approach where we try to do hot, cold aisles, uh, uh, um, kind of like containment because that's the best way to get it, to get it out. Um, but at the end of the day, like that, like that month and a half of like, let's say early July through like mid August just wreaked so much havoc on our machines, on our PDUs, on our, 
um, switch gear. I mean, then there's even situations where it's affecting, like when you have machines going on and off, then there's like weird balances that, that mess with your transformers and you start noticing your transformers are getting warm and you're like, Whoa, I didn't, I didn't know I signed up for this. So, um, you know, I think there's something to like setting, you know, cause that goes back to like the prior era of Bitcoin mining when, you know, you've had some guests on who've done like a lot of mining in the, uh, like Iceland and stuff. Yeah. Like the fact that you could just like leave machines on for the most part and never have to worry. Yeah. Like there's, you, there has to be some type of, uh, quotient or I guess like calculation of like, you know, Bitcoin mine lost opportunity in, in situations like that. So I want to go to the power grid part really quickly and then we'll wrap up with the Chinese nationals thing, which we were talking about before. Sure. So why do you think it's bad for the grid? to be mining that, that scenario down Texas intermittent with. Yeah. So, and, and Marty and I are like really aligned on, on this, this, this point too, is like the subsidies that are essentially making the, the Texas ERCOT grid unreliable are for like wind and solar generation. Cause they have these like uh, renewable energy credits that basically fund a lot of this build out. Well, what's happening is now Bitcoin miners are taking advantage of that. And it's like kind of pouring fuel on uh, or gasoline on the fire. And so that's like, oh, we can actually per- perpetuate more of these build outs. And what they actually need in Texas is stable base load, which was some of the conversation here from the uh, TVA CEO. And so, uh, yeah, I actually don't think it's a net good. Like uh, if you look at historical Texas ERCOT rates for consumers, you know, originally how it was spun was, oh, ERCOT mining, it's like this great relationship. It's great for the grid. It's great for consumers. But if you look at pricing for consumers, it's actually gone up and it's actually gone up. Now, I can't say it's like a direct correlation, yeah. but it's always pre- uh, presented as like, oh, it's this net benefit to the grid. And I don't necessarily agree not, but to who at the grid at ERCOT because they're getting paid more, but not to the end consumer when you live in a really hostile weather environment there and if it gets really cold there's not infrastructure to like keep people warm and then if it gets really hot and you lose electricity people die too so like either way like it's like a very fragile system and um you know i think that's why you're starting to see like some miners like get get out of there there's probably some political risk too like the uh there was like this story of um you know i'm not trying to dog on ride or anything it was like just really unfortunate timing they like announced their earnings and like that day there's like a crazy brownout and like yeah the news catches the clip because they're kind of bragging about it and then like you see these like reports of um you know legislature legislator like insiders in texas are like hey the governor is like in, like insanely upset about like how this is a story because it's making him look bad and like just thinking about like if there's enough pressure on any political person i don't care what side of the aisle they're on all it takes is a swift of the pen and like that whole industry goes away and they did do some sweeping changes to like a lot of the ERCOT policies and stuff which completely changed the economics around building out sites there so you want something stable yeah. you know not in a position where it's going to change a lot and because all these things are quasi-government agencies, right? right. Like ERCON has P-U-N-C, P-N-C, P-U-C-C. Yeah. yeah, so like it's a quasi-government <laughs> agency. Okay, let's finish off since you have to run to your panel sitting here. Talking about the Chinese national security thing that's been going on lately. The context for this, and we talked about this on the show, I think, when it happened. Unlike our new segment of this, there was a small 5-megawatt mine in China, Wyoming, maybe with 10 megawatts that Microsoft wrote a report about sent to the DOJ or the DOD 
I was like, this is a threat to your missile bases. <laughs> yep, right. And then news picked it up and said, Microsoft says Chinese nationals are a threat to U.S. nuclear bases. And so that ran its course. Right. I have seen a lot of Bitcoin CEOs or Bitcoiner mining CEOs be okay with that. And I think it's because like it's a competition to have these other guys come in. What's your oh, oh, you mean like that narrative of like... Yeah, they're okay with it. Yeah. I think yeah. they're okay because I think they know that they can work with the Microsofts of the world. And mm-hmm. they know that Chinese nationals probably can't because there's just going to be yeah. discrimination sure. right out the gate. Yeah, I mean, I think you should be careful what you wish for because at the end of the day, if you, it's kind of like the ESG narrative. Like once you start kowtowing to it and like, yeah. you know, trying to like adopt it, which we saw, and in, in, I mean, I think I was on the right, you know, we were on the right side of that argument. The same thing is going to happen with this. Like if this is like a guilt by association thing, then if you accept it, they're going to be, it's never, you know, that's why uh, it's like that saying, like never apologize, like when the mob comes after you, because they're going to say, oh, that's not good enough. You have spy machines plugged in. It doesn't even matter if you're a Chinese national or, or not. Like now you've got these like crazy spy boxes and you know, like these, they're like, what, how is this even possible? And like, you know, now they've already painted like, you know, the balloons going overhead and yeah. freak people out. And now it's like, what? so it's really hard to pull that, put that genie back in the bottle. And like, the thing is, is like a lot, I mean, our entire industry is very fragile in the sense that like, I know some of the, the manufacturing has moved offshore, but at this, you know, at the same time, like it's very reliant upon the Chinese like mm-hmm. ecosystem. And so, um, you know, I just think it's important for Bitcoin miners to say, Hey, we're a very pro freedom oriented country. And the fact is, is like Bitcoin miners that are coming here to the U S are essentially refugees from China. Yeah. They had businesses that were legally operating there and they literally got rug pulled and they've come over here to to set up in a place where we have you know um a property rights and and things like that that are, are really good for pro freedom we should be embracing these digital refugees instead of like you know kind of mi- mischaracterizing them and, and having these like reports like it's very like you can you can like i'm glad you pointed out like or made the distinction of like microsoft put this stuff out there because at the end of the day, Bitcoin miners are competing against large data centers. And um, and there's like this whole race. There's, um, I think that uh, who, the CEO of NVIDIA recently basically made this claim, like the, the AI game is essentially like the world becomes like a gigantic data center and it's just all about power. So, you know, they're trying to go out and uh, get procure 500, like their, their small sites for GPU compute is 500 megawatts. That's like a small, you know, site. So they're trying to get gigawatts and gigawatts. Well, now we're in like Bitcoin miners are in direct, direct competition with, um, you know, with the likes of Microsoft. So I think you just have to see like, okay, who has an economic incentive to make sure that they're boxing out the competition. It reminds me a lot of like what happened in the 1870s and 1880s with Chinese coming into California and trying to like set up life. Uh, We're just seeing like a resurgence of that, right? So like they came over. Uh, California quickly set up some acts that they couldn't take jobs. It could oh, be yeah. hard to certain industries. And now it's like a sh- very shameful part of California's history. And yeah. I, I see very similar ties. And of course, the whole point goes back to China, China being a communist country. Mm-hmm. And yet everything around is like very weak links. It's always like this person is shadowy. Yeah. We're not yeah. sure like where, where it yeah, is. Actions, the CCP some, somehow. Right. So. That, uh, I think, is something to not be a part of, at the very least. Um, okay, we're wrapping up here because you have to run, but okay. we have to get a hash rate projection from you for 2024. <sighs> so this time next year, well, December 2024, where are we going to be at? Double. Double? Yeah. Okay, 550, so one 
11,100 Zeta Ash, 1.1 Zeta Ash. I just, there's just a lot of, uh, of new, like new generation machines coming in and, uh, you know, just That's if you, yeah, well, I mean, if you just look at the deployment, like uh, if you look at like what a 10 megawatt site did two years ago, as far as like exahash, you know, you'd, you'd be lucky to get like 200 petahash on a 10 megawatt site. Now with S21s, 10 megawatt sites, like 650 petahash. Yeah. Um, and so like, I would think, you know, 10 megawatts in like another eight or nine months, that's going to be on an exahash. So, um, there's plenty of like that power available. There's going to be a lot of fleet, um, kind of like uh, refreshing, but I also think there's going to be homes for a lot of like the, the, the existing stuff out there. And so, yeah, I just think like, it's just going to get more and more bullish, especially if we enter a bull market that that's all with the pretext of we are going into a bull market. So it will get nuts. I hope we're going to a bull market. And I'd gladly be wrong and not doubling. I can't, I can't look like, like a terrible person. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, that's the hard part. Like you get a little greedy because yeah. you're making all the money in like the safe part of the market or, you know, there's, it's almost like uh, yeah. you know, steady income, but then you're like, cause that's kind of what did Corin and some of these other guys was they were primarily hosting and then they got into the, the bull cycle and they're like, crap, we're missing out on all this. We've got all the rack space. So let's get, let's get into prop mining. And then, you know, what happened? So yeah, you gotta be, you gotta just you gotta stick with your strategy. Yeah. And, or, or just be really smart about how you are going to, cause like the, the minor financing debt angle is not going to be around or as big this cycle. So you're going to have to be very different about, or, or have different strategies of like how you're going to scale even with debt, um, into the future. So. Perfect. Tom, thanks for joining. Awesome. Well, always great. And, uh, just love what you're doing with the pod. I think you're like on the cutting edge with like kind of where this industry is going and, uh, yeah, look, just continue success. Appreciate it, Hamp.